This is a Clark University podcast. RFU contains grown-up themes and occasional coarse language when they get carried away. Please take care while listening. Hello, colleagues. This is Jen Plant, Associate Dean of Academic Services at Clark University. Recommended for you this week is the film The Intervention from 2016, made in the U.S. and written and directed by Clea Duval. In this film, Duval reunites with Melanie Linsky and Natasha Lyonne, her co-stars from the queer coming-of-age film But I'm a Cheerleader. The Intervention also stars Jason Ritter, Colby Smulders, Ben Schwartz, and Aaliyah Shawkat. Upon the film's release, its critical reception was deeply divided. Some critics thought the film unoriginal and uninspired, while others applaud the film's character depth and its balance between dramatic and comedic beats. I don't care what the critics on Rotten Tomatoes have to say. I want to hear from the real experts. So, RFU podcasters, what say you? This. This. This is recommended for you. For you. For you. A podcast where Clark University Screen Studies professors watch and discuss films suggested by the. 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 Community! Welcome to RFU. I'm Soren Sorensen. I'm Rock Sommer. I'm Hugh Mannon. The Intervention is a single location dramedy about a group of childhood friends and their romantic partners who, now in their late 30s, are reuniting in one of their family's vacation homes in Savannah, Georgia. While one couple thinks this is a regular reunion to shoot the shit, etc., the others have secretly conspired to intervene on their marriage, which is not going great, something obvious to everyone but the couple themselves. The mastermind behind this intervention appears to be Annie, played by Melanie Linsky, Uh, who we meet in the opening scene in a flight to Savannah and who brings with her her longtime fiancé, Matt, played by Jason Ritter. The couple needing intervention are Peter, played by Vincent Piazza, and Ruby by Kobe Smulders. These four are joined by Jesse, who's played by writer-director Clea Duvall and is Ruby's sister, and she's got with her her girlfriend of three years, Sarah, played by Natasha Leone. Uh, and the final couple rounding out the group is Jack, played by Ben Schwartz, and his new girlfriend, the much younger Lola, played by Aaliyah Shockett. As one might expect of an indie dramedy about relationships, it is not the married couple who learns, or it's not solely the married couple who learns they have much to work on, All four couples come face-to-face with what they've been dodging, some for many years, uh, and some leave stronger, committed to trying, and it is Annie and Matt, not Peter and Ruby, who part in the end. Wonderful. There's a lot of details that we can tease out as we see fit, but that's sort of the brushstrokes. That's it. That covered many, many of my talking points already. So that's that's actually a good thing we can. <laughs> Thanks get for to joining us. Absurd <laughs> trivia more quickly. Yeah, so much good trivia to go with this film. Um, Hugh, what are you, some of your thoughts? Incredible Chardonnay. Incredible. It was really it was a delicious Chardonnay. I could tell just by looking at the glass. <laughs> it's true though. Have you has anybody ever seen a person under seventy drinking Chardonnay willingly? I mean, it's, just, it's not There's really no such a... thing as an incredible Chardonnay. <laughs> I agree with that. 100%. Well, I, I've heard I've heard I, I have heard myth mythic tales of French <laughs> Chardonnays that are quite delicious. And but I've never had one before. I, and I yet would never, Char- never Chardonnays are 
highly like overrepresented in films and television. I my sort of broad theory for why this appears is that these things are written by people who don't drink wine, and that is a yep. like popular or well-known, easy to pronounce <laughs> white wine to throw in your script. Um, I don't. But, it has to be an inside joke or something. I, I but feel I like. think there's also more going on here, and this is one of the like plot points that I didn't touch it upon in my sum sum and that is annie who we enter this film with and leave this film with and who arguably has the like sort of biggest and surprising emotional arc is also struggling with alcohol and so i think that line sort of works here in a way that it wouldn't in another film in that it's sort of pointing out that she's just happy to be drinking Mm, Uh, and there's this earlier moment uh, when they first all arrive at the house where she says there's some incredible drinks out back. So that incredible adjective. Yeah, yeah. And so I think she's sort of just putting it before drinks and like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of ridiculous that she's putting it before Chardonnay. If somebody's drinking an alcohol that is of high quality or it's expensive or something, it kind of excuses that they're drinking yeah. alcohol. So it's yep. like when she orders the scotch on the rocks double, it's sort of like she's she's um, needlessly ornamenting. She's sort of like bedazzling her drink order or she's saying these cocktails are really special and therefore it's okay that we're drinking them during the day or this Chardonnay is incredible, like we need to keep drinking yeah. it or something, yep. right? Um, or it's just that she's sort of like a... Um, a spinster alcoholic in waiting, uh-huh. and, and she's already drinking the shard, the, the, maybe the, the beverage of choice of somebody in her late sixties or early seventies who's had too much wine um, and during her life. Oh, that's a dark reading. <laughs> yeah, it's a dark reading for sure. I think alcohol is just you know of all the vices, it's the most fetishized. Like when you go to a liquor store, it's uh, what it most closely resembles is like a kid's candy store, quite literally, right? All the pretty pictures and colors and names and all this. And it's just an endless, vast array. And so, yeah, I mean, I think when, when we hear Chardonnay, you know, it's it's like the prettiness of the word yeah. in some ways that, yeah. that masks the fact that really, yeah, I mean, I, I think the story ends to, to jump really <laughs> far to the end. I mean, the story ends with a real intervention. So it's almost like there's there's a couple of interventions that take place beforehand, but that the real intervention is Annie's at the end of the film when they sit her down and someone literally says, Annie, your drinking has affected me in the following ways. And so I think in some ways, like, that's what this film is about. It's kind of like unrepressing the fact that there's, there's there's a core problem here, and it's Annie's problem. And Annie, of course, is the core of all the other events and all the other interventions that take course over the backbone of the film before that. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I mean, Melanie Linsky, you know, she is a, a treat. Like, I, I love this actor and, and was actually unaware that my first experience with Melanie Linsky's work was the 1994 Peter Jackson film Heavenly Creatures um, and, and that she's from New Zealand. I had no idea that that was the same person um, who's been working very hard the past 10 years. If you go to her IMDb page, 2016 alone is a very busy year for uh, Melanie Linsky. Um, but I also... Uh, I mean, you know, I wasn't sure that they really sold the alcoholism thing um, with this character in some ways. Um, I, I, you know, who among us hasn't changed their orange juice order on an airplane to a double scotch on the rocks? Um, <laughs> this is something that's just a weekly occurrence for me. But um, I, I uh, taking a lot I, of flights, are you? <laughs> always flying during COVID, just flying to and fro, drinking double scotches on the rocks um, and orange juice every once in a while. Uh, but uh, the thing, the thing that I found to be that, that helped that or that that I forgave the film for, for uh, surrounding that was that she really 
had an uh, an addiction to also kind of butting her nose into other people's lives uh-huh. um and that and that this person and and I'll tell you like just from a person on a personal note um you know I know someone sort of like this um in my life um and I didn't know this about them until kind of recently and somebody Sorry, was exp- don't tell them all I'm I, I'm expl- <laughs> I'm explain it's not our either any of our mothers who are listening so it doesn't matter uh, I can say whatever I like um the thesis of the film is perfectly summed up when when her character says um we can't think of about ourselves right now we have to save them you know the kind of person who likes having the mirror held up to them so they can better see the ways in which they need to improve. Mm-hmm. Ruby is the opposite of that person. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, just, I, feel, I feel very scared. We can't think about ourselves right now. We have to save them. That line to me really summed up that character really well, that, that it was saving somebody else is actually an act of selfishness in a strange way. And I, and somebody, another friend of mine actually sort of pointed that out to me um, in, in a social situation thinking like when you really have this need to help or save other people, that it's actually a selfish impulse. And I think the film did a really good job of, of that plus the alcoholism part of it. Um, but I, I wasn't sure that she really had a drinking problem at the beginning. I thought she was just stress drinking, you know? You know, the film starts with her switching from an orange juice to a scotch on the rocks. And then it ends with her alone on the plane sticking with an orange juice. And so I think it's a sort of reading of or or use of alcoholism as a metaphor for, for quote unquote bigger <laughs> or yeah. more significant issues in her life, which is that while she loves her fiance, Matt immensely, and he's represented as nothing but a great guy. He's arguably like the best person objectively. in this Jason, film. Jason Ritter could not play a bad guy. If he tried, <laughs> no, like if they, so yeah, charming. it would be impossible. Right. Yeah. And so charming in a non smarmy way, like innocent. No, charming. He's, he's lovely. Right. Um, <laughs> That while she loves him, she she doesn't want to be married. She doesn't want to be a wife, as she tells him, and she doesn't want to have kids. And perhaps why she's drinking, as well as obviously why she's bringing, you know, starting this um, conflict between this other couple and trying to split them apart, is because she really needs to split herself away from Matt. Yeah. Um, it's right there too in the in the plane sequence yeah. when she is doing taking the double scotch or changing her order. And there's a small child, little girl oh, in the yeah. seat in front, and she keeps peering between the seats. And <laughs> Annie's just like, "No, cut it out! Like, stop!" And finally, she just drapes something between the two seats so she doesn't have to look at this child staring <laughs> back at her. And then right right before the 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 drink cart comes, she's she looks like she's gesturing like she's going to take the fabric away so that she feels bad about it and she and then she just kind of straightens she up just and doesn't yeah yeah so it's <laughs> classic it's, like, it's a, yeah well it's a quintessential you know it's what uh you know in screenwriting parlance uh, is referred to as an opening image right so this is the thing that tells you visually everything that this character yeah. is about and ultimately truly everything that the story is about so mm-hmm. if you watch for these opening images you can in some sense telegraph what the whole plot is going to do who the protagonist is, how yeah. it's going to come in for a yeah. landing in the in the third act. Yeah, it's so. like her denial uh, of of children in general, and also just like prying eyes, right? And then and then and then almost allowing the kid in. You're right before she orders alcohol to sort of as a salve, as a bomb, right? It's just this kind of and and like that line that I just cited. I mean, I, you're you're right. These early these early clues. Um, it's it's really I think skillfully written. I mean, all these things sort of pay off. Yeah. Um, for the characters, I this cast actually. 
I have to say, like when I looked at the cast, when I, I knew I found out we were going to be watching this film, I knew who all the actors were, and and I was like delighted because I think they were they were all they're all actors that I, I really respect. Yeah, um, you and, already yeah. mentioned Heavenly Creatures, and I just need to say out of the gate, um, in case our plot discussion or discussion of character doesn't quite get here or you know focus on this this film is a gen x lesbian icon extravaganza <laughs> so i mean i'm using extravaganza like like white middle-aged lesbians like it's very beige and drab <laughs> extravaganza um but melanie linsky that 94 film she plays a murderous teenage lesbian mm-hmm. uh opposite kate winslet, opposite kate winslet uh, and clea duvall our writer director and actor playing Jesse uh, and Natasha Leone, who plays her girlfriend in this film, uh, like had their like not like true cinematic debuts, but sort of came into popular consciousness uh, in Jamie Babbitt's 1999 lesbian satire, but I'm a cheerleader. And the soundtrack heavily features Leader Keeney and right. Tegan and Sarah. So right. it's like, even as this film is very much not really about lesbians, there's like, these are all lesbian and lesbian adjacent characters, people's culture. This film is not not about lesbians. We should we should put that out there. I mean, it's it, <laughs> it's, well, it's it's more about lesbians than your average film is. Wouldn't yes. you say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is like an update on you know, like there's it is a very familiar genre of film and sort of like it's a very it's a very actor. It's an actor's movie, which makes sense. That's written and directed by by someone who had 20 years of acting under her belt first. Uh, and it's very, like, theatrical meaning, like, this could be a play, right? Right, yeah. Um, yeah. And so it has updated that ensemble piece with, like, a lesbian couple. Uh, and that sort of does mark its, like, 2016-ness. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to get be too much of a downer. I don't, I don't know if well, there's much for lesbians here other than a bunch. Of <laughs> well, lesbians. I mean, statistically, like if you were to really do the breakdown, like I'm not it, it's, saying it's, it's for lesbians. <laughs> I'm saying it's about lesbians. Isn't it like? I think it's like five point five to six six eighths uh, straight white people, right? Yeah. yeah. Like if you were to do, if you were gonna, movie. yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of. I don't know. It takes you into lesbian territory in in certain sequences, but really, like I don't know, like most, like it seems squarely. Like I think there's a genre here, like, and I'm not sure what you'd call it. Like the genre would be something like films where groups of adults gather remotely for a weekend genre or something like Look, that. But I, not I, the like, horror version. And no, not the horror it's, version. It's the big yeah. chill. Look, it's I, the big yeah, chill. It, it is the big chill, and I, and at the risk Gen of X, of, of you know, yeah, it's the Gen X big chill. And let's talk about this. Here's the thing. So I did I did very little digging here, um, but the Big Chills theatrical release poster has a few different taglines. I just I want to read from the this is this is from the original theatrical re- 1983 theatrical theatrical release poster for the Big Chill, uh, Lawrence Kasdan's film The Big Chill. It says at the top in bold letters, "How much love, sex, fun, and friendship can a person take?" And then in the bottom, this is this is a lot of text. The story of eight old friends searching for something they lost and finding that the, that all they needed was each other. <laughs> that's that's what it, that's on yeah. the poster for this film. And then in the, yeah. and then underneath the title, it says, "In a cold world, you need your friends to keep you warm." I mean, this is like this is this could be the same <laughs> film. I mean, it's yeah. kind of cheesy, right? I mean, it's like it's it's a pretty it's and it's eight people and it's four except, women and four men and except yeah, so. even those taglines yeah. are pointing to some 
to a couple questions I have for this film. If we were to think of this as a Gen X version of the big chill, I have these confusions about what was this group's dynamic like back mm. in the day? Exactly when was back in the day? Yeah. Who were they in, I imagine, the late 90s versus who they are now? Yeah. And also, like, are they, how aware is this film? of the sort of white people they are because the big chill is a is like uh yeah despite those cutesy <laughs> taglines it is in fact about like the boomer generation aging sure and yeah. this relationship they have in the 80s to who they were in the 60s as college students right as yeah. college students who envisioned sort of these radical activist futures for themselves and yet have found themselves like bored to tears and middle-class parenting and married married life right mm -hmm. and so like there's a lot of the themes here about what it means to be an adult and take responsibility etc but also the relationship to their younger selves doesn't have the same sort of thematization or like and the generation isn't thinking of itself in the same way i don't think it's just yeah it's it's more bubble like or snow globe like you know it's it's <laughs> Everything that's happening here, it feels almost like um, like Knives Out or something. Like we're in a house <laughs> and that's it. Like we're in this house yeah. and we're in this house for this amount of time. And the past, the future, you know, space, you know, the fact that we're in rural Georgia, but it has no, absolutely no, none of the markers of being in rural Georgia other than it seems like we're on a plantation, which is yeah. Well, it's, weird. it's that home. It's that, yeah, yep. yeah. But it doesn't. But they they actually venture into you know quote unquote into town in this film, whereas in the True. Big Chill it really is True. that house. It's pretty married to that house. I don't. I don't. You know. Um. I, I guess. I guess my my the big connection that I had um with the Big Chill was probably with um Alia Shawkat. I'm I'm butchering her name, aren't I? I know. I always do. Okay. Alia Shawkat. Alia Shawkat's uh, character. Um. And uh, who I love from Arrested Development. Um. Not her character, but the actor. Um. And and uh, Meg Tilly's character in um in, oh, in yeah. the Big Chill. That actually at the end when it it this, this sort of broken character Jack played by Ben Schwartz. Um, says, you know, why don't we go to Los Angeles and, and Los Angeles is home, which is Los Angeles is a strange place to be their home because it's not it doesn't have a it doesn't play a part in the film. So it might have made more mm -hmm. sense if they were from another kind of place rather than L.A. because L.A. is kind of a loaded location. Um, but the fact that um, this younger character um, who's who's sort of derided at the beginning for being a baby and for being you know a, an art student or what you know she's for being 22 and just you know being underage or whatever it is um you know she's the one at the at the end that kind of like sort of like supports him in the way that he needs as he's grieving and still kind of like not coming to terms with his wife's passing um and yep. similarly you know um uh, bill hurt's character william hurt's character i said bill hurt like i'm friends with him <laughs> william hurt's character nick in, in the big chill um seeks solace from meg tilly and it's not a sexual relationship that he's seeking because we find out that he's been damaged um below the waist in, in vietnam that he can't perform sexually that this is not his 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 infatuation or his love for this young woman it has everything to do with you know connecting with a human being and i think th th there there are some nice places where this this there are mirror images where the younger character who at the beginning is kind of made fun of and derided as a sex object is actually the one who has the wisdom and who actually has the experience to and and, and actually has seen the failures of of generations ahead of her and is free to kind of be herself so do you want to break up with your husband 
Or why would I talk to you? I don't know. It's been so bad for so long. I just let go of the idea that it would ever be good again. It would be easier just to end it, but I... I don't want to. And I'm so, so mad at myself that I don't, but I... I don't. So don't. But what if we try and it doesn't work? Well, maybe you'd regret not trying more. But what if we can't get back to where we were? Well, maybe you could make something new. That sounds a lot like what a psychologist would have told yeah. Kobe Smulders in a, in, a, yeah. in a couples therapy session or something. So they, that, that character, that younger character, is really cleverly written in here. And I think similarly yeah. to Meg Tilly and, and the Big it, Chill. It's got to be said, too, just one quick assertion into that uh, line. I think Annie is the person who recognizes that Lola is the correct person to go in to talk to the grieving Ruby, right? So Annie's like, no, yes, yeah. this is the yeah. right person. Although <laughs> she's disconnected from our whole family. Yeah, she's she's sort of the, the one that should go have this She's talk. sort of the, 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 the broken clock being right twice a day kind of thing. That's though. true. <laughs> That's At that true. point, she's like, I should go talk to her, and everyone kind of groans about it. But yeah, yeah. I think the film works, you know, because uh, like the, the Big Chill, we're talking about a group of eight. It definitely works as pairings of two because there are these four couples, but the couple's break down into kind of um, certain types. And I think we haven't said this. And for those who maybe are not going to see the film or those uh, who have seen it a while ago need a refresher. So it's Annie, who is sort of I would I would want to call her kind of like maternal in nature, but also alcoholism kind of goes with her character, Matt, her husband, um, the good guy but also who sort of recedes in this group of eight. I would say he's the right. least notable in some ways, which is a good thing, given the fact that everybody else <laughs> he's, is so He's the virtuous one, right? <laughs> um, Jesse, who is, I would say, I would describe as sort of like stern, stoic, very connected like psychologically to Annie. They shoot each other glances all the time, which I love, mm -hmm. um, but also dates young people. Mm. Um, Sarah, upbeat, but kind of like it's self-confesses that might be into guys, actually. So this is the lesbian couple, and Sarah sort of says, yeah, I actually miss having sex with guys. And that's like right. a thing that comes in yeah. in a conversation at a certain point. Jack, Jack's wife died. He's a broken individual. Lola, described as some baby stranger by Annie. <laughs> and then Peter and Ruby, which I think this is the most interesting kind of pairing to describe because they're just both assholes to each other. Um, extremely, um, like, what, what would you describe that as? Like, um, they, they bicker better mm. than any couple I think I've ever seen in a film, yeah. um, which is tough to watch. And, and you know, the whole center of the, the plot is around trying to convince them to get divorced. And it seems like that's the <laughs> the right move up until the bitter end. The only thing I think that's really funny about that is there's an actual beat in this film, and this is trivial but definitely needs to be mentioned, where I think the film wants to convince us that despite the fact that Peter and Ruby should absolutely 100% get divorced, because they play charades together really well, that maybe they shouldn't get divorced. Two words. What well, first word? The. The burn. The burn. Oh. The. The. No, hot, you the can't hot. do that. You're untouchable. Yeah. Peter, what? what? That's what? insane. Hmm? A monster? The, the, the bear. Five words. The, the unbearable life is to be. No way. 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 No way.
it's just the weirdest beat in the world. <laughs> like they suddenly connect over charades. Yeah. When they show up, we've already gotten a little sneak preview of how the car ride's going, but then they show up and they're the last to arrive at the house and they're bickering as they like get out of the car. It should also be noted that Ruby is on crutches this entire film, mm, having yep. suffered an injury right beforehand. And so that, that plays a part in the sort of dynamics intentions. It's clear that they're not in a good place and it is that sort of, you, you get why this intervention has, has been scheduled. Um, even if that's not how you would handle the conflict. We checked on the kids yet? We just got here, Peter, so no. All right, can we? Because we haven't called since we landed. Okay. Uh, so just so everyone knows, there are delicious drinks being served just out and back on the porch. So can I come have a drink? Yeah, uh, I think we should settle in first before we... Peter, is there anything else you want to micromanage? I'd just like to have one drink. I'm not on the same page that they actually should get divorced. I would say that they, they keep the bickering at a really high... Like it's it's going, it's constant, and that's not yeah. good. But it also like does not cross the sort of line that it, like this film could have been darker. It could have been more dramatic. Um, I myself, maybe you know, this is obviously coming from a very subjective place. Found the that lesbian fight on the docks to be like the most brutal in the film, um, and perhaps a sign that that couple shouldn't be together. But anything these like any individual thing that they say doesn't cross. A certain line for me like it's not as vicious i don't know as this genre would call for mm. i mean will you indulge my secret theory about the film for a second of course because why do you sure. think we're here i mean honestly like she's got a broken leg and when asked to explain the broken leg oh no ruby says as uh. a direct quote it was a softball game and i was walking down the stairs that makes no sense. There's no stairs at a softball game. Right. I think or I like. think Peter broke her leg. I think Peter oh, pushed her no. or something, and it's a spousal abuse thing. Oh, no. I don't know why I'm set now. Well, now, he look, also the, hit the her truth in the face is, with the ball too, I and mean, that yeah, was sports. Absolutely, yeah. sports are violent. Absolutely, and the, uh, now the truth of the history of the film is that now what's her name? Kobe Smulders broke her leg the day before shooting the movie, uh, playing with her kids. So they had to include the broken leg, otherwise <laughs> yeah. they would have had to recast. But nonetheless, it doesn't make any difference to me. Uh, like I think the text yeah. suggests that there's some sort of spousal abuse going on. I would love to hear what Jen has to say about this, but like that's how I decoded that. I don't know why else it's in the film See, other I, than to sort of indicate a bad past history of physical violence in some way, shape, or form. Wow. Whereas it did point to me the how inconsiderate he is and also how inconsiderate her friends are it takes them like an hour before anyone asks her why she's on crutches no yeah, one and true. no one knew so one could no be, no oh, they, they, knew. they ask right out of the car there, there's a there's a no. quick exchange yeah right when there's she gets a, out of the car they say what happened to your life she says yeah it's broken it's not you know it's like a quick thing when they but they don't I, get that they, whole story. I know, but you assume that they talked on the phone or they texted or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. But she's doing I guess I all just, these things. Like yeah. it, it does serve as a as a visual metaphor for how and yes, broken. this is how disability yeah. is used so often yeah. in film. Yeah. But for the broken nature of this relationship, such that when she does try to seduce him that first night, that she has to like 
you know, and he's looking at his phone and not looking up as she approaches on crutches slowly in lingerie. She is so it funny really... in that scene. That is really <laughs> brutal. I mean, it's like it's supposed yeah. to be really sad and tragic, but it's all she's also playing it really, really well because you're, you're she's sort of like striking there and she's like she's making herself up in a way, but she has these crutches and she has to you can't you can't like, you know, gracefully <laughs> lean crutches right. up against the uh, bedpost. It's like impossible. Right. So um, I, I just again, like really sh- her performance was pretty amazing throughout the film that but that that fight so i'll so i'll say i'll I'll say i have a more generous thing after i say the thing about the scene on the dock is that it it's not just that we get the sense that sarah is perhaps bisexual she certainly has dated men but that when pushed like when she's feeling defensive because jesse has been kissed by Aaliyah's character um natasha leone sarah is feeling defensive and hurt and so when when Jesse's like you never oh like oh you're high and mighty you've never found someone else attractive, and so she goes so far to say like the meanest thing that you can imagine a lesbian saying to another lesbian. On your high horse, so much better than everybody else. You never have an impure thought or feeling. Just fucking. I miss sleeping with men. Excuse me. Yeah, I do. I do. I miss it. I think about it. When you're fucking me with a strap on, I every time. And uh, you know how I always say, like, I can't tell the difference? Well, I can. It's not as good. It's just, it's like what's not yeah. ne- needed. And so I'll say that Clea Duvall, it's really interesting to see her have this career blossom now because she was such a lesbian icon like 20 years ago. Like so many of us are gay because of her. And yet she herself didn't come out until the year that this film was made. And this is like her coming out story. (laughs) I, having seen a thousand lesbian movies, know that if a movie is of a certain budget and has certain actors in it, that sort of line is so likely to make it in. It's such a cliche, but it's also something you'll never make find in smaller budget indie made like lesbian made movies it is like a very heteronormative vision of what lesbian conflict like lesbians fight about everything like anyone else that it is that they could only have conflict around penises like it's just like what i was kind of shocked to hear that line too i i i I sort of i guess i i read it i it was it was definitely dark but i i think it was also it teed up this thing at the end this cute little moment that they have like i'm sorry i don't have a penis i mean natasha leone's character uh sarah also um has been sort of clued into the fact that uh cleo duvall's character jesse likes younger women you know by her sister so she's already kind of like a little bit feeling inadequate or feeling like this person's not going to stay with me for very long. And so when they start to fight, it's not just about the kiss. It's about this person is is her eye is wandering already, or and, and I'm going to be boring and old to her soon. Um, and and that's and that's I think that's reinforced by the conversation that um, that Jesse has um, um, with uh, sorry with Kobe Smolder's character. But that seems like, like such a. Her. Like, who who are these lesbians who are always dating younger? Like, I, I don't doubt that there are individual lesbians who do this, but like, it's, it too <laughs> feels like know. a borrowed <laughs> trope from straight relationships, yeah. right? Like, you're right. Sure. And so it's the joke version I have of this. And Rachel did ask me if I was going to bring up this scene, but it already was brought up. And my joke version is tell me you've only dated bad bisexuals without telling me you've only dated bad bisexuals, <laughs> which is like, like, this is. I, you know, so my generous thing is 
Clea. You're just entering this world for reals. And maybe these are the fights you have, but like give it 10 yeah. years and you'll find much more interesting things to fight about. Or much less interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key to a good relationship. I've got to ask something about the doc scene. And, and this really kind of, um, I hope this doesn't cheapen what I, I think what, you've just said is like really on the money and a great interpretation, <laughs> but doesn't Natasha Leone mispronounce strap on? Does she? She does. So she yeah. says strap on <laughs> strap on. So it's my whole thing. And, I, and I've got to say there, there is a, there is an emphasis issue. Emphasis. I, I would, I would say that I'm going to put that squarely on the shoulders of the script supervisor. Yeah. That, that was a strange line read right there. Maybe she, they just didn't get it. Strap on. Strap on. I think about it. When you're fucking me with a strap on. You have to remember, like, she's going in the drink right after that. That's right. right. After these lines. So so I, I figure they're not going to reset that scene over and over and over again. Like they're, And then they're going straight into a shower and all this stuff. So it's possible that she just got it wrong twice. But what you're pointing to is that while I was stewing in my, like, anger uh, and such that I didn't even hear a strap on. Um, <laughs> I already was like, not this conversation. Uh, it was suddenly, I was suddenly brought back to earth with this like slapstick, like sequence that yeah. follows. Yeah. So Jesse yeah. tackles her off the deck into the lake, which in an, if taken at face value, questionable <laughs> physical <laughs> violence, speaking of domestic violence, Hugh. Um, but yeah. I don't think we are meant you know, to interpret it as such because it's followed then by this ridiculous, they're both wet, fighting over using the shower to then suddenly like, why don't you kiss like my friend if you have like such an issue? And yeah, then everyone yeah. is suddenly kissing everyone. And it's yeah, ridiculous right. and goes over the top and really like goes above and beyond and like breaking the tension of that really awkward. And scene. Annie has Annie has a great line there. She's like, "Stop it! You're acting like animals." <laughs> right. I mean, for for people who haven't seen it though, I think to to sort of say everyone's kissing everyone. <laughs> it's done in a very mathematical slapsticky yeah. way. So character A, who's not supposed to kick kiss character B, does, and then they in turn do the exact same thing to their partner, and it happens in kind of like a tit for tat sort of way again and again and again and so it's not it's very linear like it's one person kisses one person then yeah, another it's yeah. not like an orgy it's not sensual right yes, absolutely yeah, yeah. right it's, it's very jokey <laughs> the extra joke here is that annie and matt are the witnesses right um but then annie right. sneaks in a kiss on jesse which ties back to an earlier moment when she's put to bed the first night by jesse when very drunk mm -hmm. where she tells her friend like that she surprised, I don't know exactly how she puts it, but hurt, it hurt her feelings, feelings that you never tried to make, out, tried with to make me, right? out with yeah, me in high yeah. school, yep. which is to say there's like yeah. another, a very different bad bisexual here. I mean, I'm putting bad in air quotes for all your listeners who can't hear, but, but like arguably, <laughs> and this is my creative reading, but I, I don't know if it's more or less creative than Hughes, <laughs> but um, part of what Annie's reckoning with is her own queerness that's been like lingering since high school, growing up best friends with Jesse. Um, and that might be part of her ambivalence about marriage and childhood. Now, that that kiss is the outlier for a second. Yeah. Right. So you see all these paired up matching sort of inappropriate kisses. And then uh, when Annie kisses Jesse, it's like, what? <laughs> wait, wait, what? What just yeah. happened there? And then Annie sits down next to what's his name? Matt. Matt. Jason and, Ritter's character is and, Matt. Annie yeah. sits down next to Matt, 
and then he kisses her and he and she just kind of gives him a pat on the head like she he's a good little him dog. on the shoulder yeah it's, just it's like, really oh, brutal boy. yeah yeah oh my god yeah it really um sort of interests me that like when they're discussing ruby early on in <laughs> the narrative that Annie says that Ruby scares her. And I love the idea of a group of friends, that a group of friends that could go back for many, many years, that there's one group, one person out of the group who actually is kind of scary. And <laughs> Natasha Leone scares me personally. Like I know enough about her that like, like when I see her or hear her, like she strikes me as a person who, um, I don't know, actually terrifies me. Oh my gosh. She's, she's scary sexy. <laughs> she's just, that's part of her brand. I think I'm just sort of. I love all of them. Like I, I would. I would just want to. I just want to like, like talk to all of them about acting. Like I think that's. I, I mean, this to me, this was the big question of the film. So like, uh, when you have this kind of this thing we or I described as like films where a group of adults gather remotely for a weekend genre, like which one of these people is you, and which one of these people are you attracted to? It's it's so it's so hard to make that decision to distinguish between character and actor because I have very different answers yeah sure um well i'm thinking character i was thinking purely, purely character, character. <sighs> gender I mean, aside like just gender aside sure. like it doesn't really matter sure. right yeah i will say i watched this film a lot of the films we watch for this podcast i watch with my best friend from high school long distance like we we put it on at the same time and and text and we both thought we were the annie so i don't know what that means <laughs> interesting like, like, do, do you would like, you ever both do, like i mean no you're not annie i mean like but not in the way that like we wanted to be like we both yeah we're like you just, oh no you're just, you're just actually you're you're sort of like owning up to it right okay. yeah would 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 you would any of you i mean i guess the answer to this question can't be yes it's like can you imagine doing something like this though like like talking about With a friend's fr- marriage friends? and saying that recommending that they should get divorced. Oh my god! No, no. I mean it's just no. no. Even if it were true, no. in a group of people, you would have a you would have a heart to heart with a good friend ones. about something, but like you would never have an intervention about somebody's I, I, marriage. See, no. the Annie, the Annie and me would would definitely conspire with others to say we need to talk to these people, but it would be a more man on man. Is that how the sports football? Mano y mano. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> Your question speaks to my problem, which is that, like, of course I would like to, th- like, I I go to the Jesse and the Sarah for who am I, but I don't want to be either of them. And they, they are kind of boring. And this might be the most boring character that Natasha Leone has ever played. I think, like, for me, it's got to be, like, I think I would want to hang with Jesse, and I, I don't know how you could watch this. I mean, this is an interesting question. Could you? Could anybody watch this and not identify, like, who am I with Annie? Like, I think, like, we've we've just all got, you know, Annie is, is our stand-in, and I think the film actually succeeds yeah. because somehow we're all convinced as we watch this to, to identify with Annie, which is exactly who the film wants us to identify with. But that's a that's a trick of the uh, of the script, yeah. though. I mean, sure you know, is. and because it begins and ends with her, and and that. I, but but I think in a lot of ways, this is sort of like watching like the this um, HBO series Succession. You're not supposed to like any of them. I mean, they're not. It's sort of beside the point that there there is no person that's clean here, really. And if they're clean, they're boring. Yeah. Like I think, That's I think right. in a way, like you, you, like if it's Jason Ritter's character, you're, it's just like, well, he's just a doormat, and you feel yeah. bad for him in, in a way. Like you don't want to be him, though. She's like, I'm not that guy for sure. So who am I? Who? What's the right amount of danger for me? Is it Ben Schwartz's character, Jack? You know, is it Natasha Leone's character, Sarah? Like I, you know, but it's probably not Annie's character for me. Like I, I, I don't get really any pleasure out of 
micromanaging but she's, other people's affairs. But I, I think, think the generous way of, I guess for a lot of them, it doesn't go, although Hugh's interpretation, I mean, it, it didn't go bad enough such that I didn't get those secession vibes. Like, like I didn't get how aware they were that these were like boring upper middle class white people. Like the film in some ways wasn't self-conscious enough, even as I did see it trying at times, including that Hitler horrible Hitler conversation at the table. Um, but like, I don't have a sense of where they went to college. You know, like there's a lot that I, and so I wish the film had either, yeah, either made them more lovable or made them more despicable. There's sort of an ambivalence about this group of people for me. But for Annie, I find that she is the sweet spot where she is at face value, the one who needs to look at herself, like the thesis of the film and the, the story being told is she's the one who needs to look at herself, um, confront yeah. herself and learn and grow. But she does that. And I find her exceed, despite all her problems and her, you know, playing with the puppet strings, you know, like she's exceedingly charming and funny. And when her attempts to diffuse the conflict in the Hitler who's the real racist fight oh um, are yeah. so when she just starts randomly co quoting goodwill hunting, like I relate right. <laughs> like, like, like right. that, that, that is relatable. Really quickly, Polly Morgan's uh, cinematography in this film. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed that I don't always notice about heavy dialogue um, films like this, that the shot reverse shot scenarios where you have one character speaking and you have you have coverage for two different actors in a single camera setup, I think. Um, and the way that she framed these shots, you always, almost always in these conversations had one character kind of smothering another character. You had a lot of location on one side of the screen. And then you had one character situated on kind of like the the right hand side, and then another character situated on the far right side, and then it would flip to the to the opposite, right? So shot reverse shot. In an, in a conventional shot reverse shot scenario, you have each character taking up about the same amount of the screen on either side. Whereas in this, it was like they were squeezing each other out in their setups. Um, and I thought that was really, I, I thought that did a really good job of of showing the the way that we smother each other in relationships or that these characters smother each other in relationships. Yeah. 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 The cinematography stood out to me, but not in a way that you think <laughs> cinematography, like it is very apropos of the genre of this film. It, it isn't flashy, but it isn't as basic or understated as it had to be either. We're, to speak to this, like who are these people? What class, what genre of white people? I would have like, there was only Aaliyah, like Lola's costuming was called attention to and that it was like inappropriate. Mm -hmm. But I would have wear a whole yeah, shirt. Wear a whole shirt. <laughs> Maybe she put on a whole shirt. Um, but like I would have liked to have some visual clues. If they're not gonna talk about it, if they're not like, well, I'm not some big time lawyer, like if they're not gonna I would have liked a a bet a clearer visual story on the level of like costuming because I think the set is there, like I think the cinematography's there. Um, I guess we did talk about that seduction crutches scene. So there's there's moments where like those sort of details have been teased out, but sort of throughout, I, I think Annie Annie's wardrobe, I was trying to to understand who it was telling us she was and yeah. Yeah. very unclear. Like Lola's got this Lola's got this whole boho thing going on. But other than that, I, I agree totally. You can't read who these characters are by looking at them. If you were writing this screenplay, would you have stayed away from um Lolita as a as a name that was close to Lola? Yeah, that's I, pretty on the nose. Yeah. 
like every movie, all these actors are playing people younger than them. My favorite line in the movie, of course, is was Titanic even out when she like when she was born? And he's like, no, but I've explained the ending. <laughs> she knows how it ends. Right. But Aaliyah Shockett was is only a couple years younger than me and very much alive when Titanic came out. But also yeah. all these 40 yeah. somethings are playing 30 something. So it's par for yeah. the course. Yeah, that's right. It's par for the course. It might be so. more of an, an elder uh, millennial uh, big chill and not a Gen X big They're chill. They're Gen X. The actor, the actors are Gen X. Maybe the script is elder millennial. I just like saying elder millennial. Would we, would we, would we recommend this film? Yeah. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I, I mean, I think uh, at the end of the day, yes, just because I think it's entertaining. I like the characterization. A couple of these uh, characters really grab me, and all the acting I think is is pretty yeah. terrific. Um, I would want to say, like, I'm going to make a, a modified. RFU. I would recommend that you watch this and then you watch a similarly titled film called The Invitation, which I don't know if you've seen it, but like it completely unrepresses everything that's going on here and is definitely a film where a bunch of old friends get together for like a dinner and so forth. Yeah. And and the big chill. That'd be a good triple feature. Sure. Great triple feature. (laughs) Invitation last, though. It would ruin the night. Yes. The Invitation last. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I I think I would recommend this film just based on the cast alone. I loved every actor in this. As soon as again, as soon as I saw the IMDb page, I was like, I'm in. I'm all in. Um, and Polly Morgan's uh, cinematography and Cleo Duvall's great script and direction. Yeah, no, this is a very like well-crafted film and a film that I have a sense that like everyone involved gave it what they got and it's it does what it does very well. Um, I don't think it's like a showstopper. I don't think it's going to change anyone's lives, but uh, it was sort of a very comforting, it was a very, like it, if there was sort of a nostalgia to this genre, it's like a it's a it's a sort of movie that used to be made a lot, and I haven't seen done this well in some time. So yes, I recommend. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> for the great suggestion. <laughs> Recommended for you is a Clark University podcast. All opinions expressed are those of the faculty participants. If you'd like to recommend a film for an upcoming episode of RFU, email us at rfu at clarku.edu. That's rfu at clarku.edu. Or you can leave a voicemail with your suggestion at 508-798-4355. 508-798-4355. The Recommended for You podcast is produced by Andrew Hart for Clark University. Music by Jimmy Jackson, RFU logo by A.J. Simmons. Strap on. Strap on. Strap on. It wasn't, it's not like Jason Strathiron or something. Like, it's very, it's a strange. subtle, but but it's definitely wrong. We've talked about this in a previous episode, and (laughs) and I know, like, I think Andrew cut this, and I'm going to say it again, see if it makes the (laughs) cut this time, which is that I can remember working, like, I was washing dishes at this little seafood restaurant, and it drove me nuts that the two chefs who were brothers, and just out of their minds, um, the, the one brother would say, oh, we got an order up, baked white fish. 
And I was like, no, it's whitefish. Whitefish. <laughs> it's not whitefish. Yes. The, the baked and, white and pork, maybe. I, it doesn't I make any sense. I don't know if this was in the conversation, but it always reminds me of that film where the, in, in the conversation um, where, where they say, you know, he, he'd kill us if he had the chance. He'd kill us if he had the chance. Like the whole movie hinges on mis you know, mishearing something. So, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And I think here that, you know, the problem is, you know, when you hear that line, strap on, you immediately think, strap. well, what about strap off? You know, it just somehow like, <laughs> it, maybe clap it's a dead, on, I don't know. Clap off the clapper. That's what it is.